have one more gift for you moms this morning, and that is a sermon. Okay? Um, and uh, hopefully it will be a blessing uh, to you. I want to speak to not just the moms, but all of the ladies um, who are here today on the subject of everything you need to know about being beautiful, or almost everything. Um, there's, I'm, there's a lot I don't know, in fact, but um, about being beautiful, but uh, all of the critical things that you should know about being truly beautiful. In fact, let me uh, take a risk here. How many of you ladies desire to be beautiful? Raise your hand. See, I knew it. I knew it. Uh, just a few of you have the nerve to raise your hand. But I know that every woman in this room desires to be beautiful. You know why I know this? Because many women are willing to look somewhat silly, if not even downright scary, uh, temporarily, in the hope that on the other end of whatever efforts that they engage in, they might be more uh, beautiful. Uh, beauty is something that um, is a good thing and it is good to desire to be beautiful. In fact, I believe that is a God-given desire. And so I want to hone in on that desire this morning. And let's get these ladies off this slide here. Um, and I want to uh, preach to you six truths that are critical for you to know uh, in order to achieve true and lasting beauty in your life. See, if you desire to be beautiful, ladies, and this goes for the moms and, uh, and young gals that are not married and have no children yet, uh, if, if you desire to be beautiful, it's critical that you understand that there's been this large cosmic drama that's been playing out for thousands of years, and you are merely a role player in that drama. And for you to even understand enough to make right choices with regard to beauty... Uh, you need to understand this larger drama and hence your place inside of that drama and then you can make some wise decisions about beauty. I want to talk to you about beauty today, ladies, because the world already has been talking to you about beauty, screaming messages uh, to you on the magazine covers that you see at the grocery store, perhaps the magazines that, uh, that you've been buying that have these uh, picture-perfect, airbrushed, impossible images of women who don't even look remotely like what they appear to be on the magazine covers or in uh, the magazines. And the world is just putting this standard, this impossible standard of beauty that is leading many of um, the young ladies in our culture today on starvation diets, making themselves throw up, um, exercising their brains out in an attempt to live up to this standard and they're tormented as they stand in front of the mirror over the question of do I live up to this standard or not and they strive to, to live up to these images that have been burned into their hearts uh, from these magazines and uh, from the television shows little realizing that the very women on the covers of the magazines are also tormented. Because they look at the image of themselves that everyone else is seeing and they know they don't even live up to that airbrushed image either. And the way of the world, the teaching of the world, the message of the world on the subject of beauty is a tormenting message that will lead many to destruction and to much heartache and ruin. But God's teaching on beauty is one that will not 
uh, so affect you the way the world does. And so let's just look at these six truths. Let's put it all together. We're going to look at these in sequence and then try to piece it all together at the end. Six truths, ladies, that you should know in order to achieve true and lasting beauty. The first truth that you need to know is, let's go all the way to the very beginning of creation. You need to know, truth number one, that God made the first woman very good and very uh, beautiful. God made the first woman, who is Eve in the Garden of Eden, very good and beautiful. So God, God made uh, women beautiful. He made the first woman beautiful. This is his perfect design. And I, I don't want to take the time. I did in the first service and we went over a little bit and I don't want to uh, belabor this therefore. But if, if we did have the time, I could easily make the case to you that in the Old Testament, whenever you see a verb to see in connection with the Hebrew word tov that is often translated good, it has the idea of beauty. And we see that in many places uh, throughout the Old Testament. But when you look at the creation account, one of the things that you notice is at the end of each day of creation, it says God saw that it was tov, and that could be translated God saw that it was beautiful. Every day, after day one, day two, day three, four, and five, God looks upon what he has made, and sees that what he has made is indeed beautiful and excellent. However, uh, near the beginning of day six, God created a guy. He created man. And after he created man, literally in the text, God said, it is not good. All right? I'm not making this up. Uh, after every day of creation, it is good, it is good, it is good, it is good, it is good. Day six, he creates Adam, looks at what he has made, and says it is not good. Um, however, uh, he's not saying Adam is not good. Adam was perfect. If you look at the rest of what God says, he says it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. So God sees Adam by himself and says, it's not good for this man to be alone, so I'm going to make uh, somebody else who will be corresponding to him perfectly and will be a helper to him. So God then put Adam into a deep sleep, and he opened up his side. He pulled out a rib from his side. Then God closed up the wound uh, that he had just created, and then God took the rib bone, and he fashioned a beautiful knockout woman from that, that bone. Uh, he then woke up Adam and brought Eve to Adam, and Adam looked upon Eve for the very first time and was blown away and said, this is flesh of my flesh, bone of my bone. It's a superlative idea. This is my best flesh and my best bone. This is amazing. And he received joyfully this gift of this woman that God had given uh, to him. After God created Eve, all right, it is good, it is good, it is good, it is good, it is good. All through day five, he creates Adam, looks upon Adam, says it is not good. There's something else needed. God then creates Eve, and then after he creates Eve, look at what it says next. In chapter 1 of Genesis, verse 31, after Eve was created, God saw all that he had made, and behold, exclamation point, it was very Tov. It was very good, very beautiful. So after Eve was created, God
God looked at all of his creation and all of it was very beautiful, including Eve. Now, I just took a few minutes to establish that Eve was beautiful, but we all knew that, didn't we? I mean, she's created from the hand of God. (laughs) If we know she would be beautiful, God wouldn't create something and bring it to Adam. And Adam looks at her and says, whoa, you know, it's a... (laughs) Is that the only one I have to choose from? I mean, and God's like, you know, give me a break. I just had a rib to work with, okay? Um, no, Adam, Adam was stunned by what he saw. And we would know that if God created Eve, then his handiwork is beautiful, right? And so we know that God created the first woman very good and beautiful. However, the second truth you need to know, if you want to get on a path to beauty, ladies... Um, the second truth you need to know is that this very beautiful woman allowed herself to be deceived and led into sin by Satan. You know, some of you think, man, if I could just be beautiful, life would be perfect. Eve was more beautiful than any woman in this room could ever hope to be. And she allowed herself to be deceived and led into sin by Satan. Look at the story as it unfolds and how this happens. Now, the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, keep in mind, there's Adam and there's Eve. But the serpent goes to Eve, not Adam. He said to the woman, indeed, has God said, you shall not eat from any tree of the garden. And the woman said to the serpent, from the fruit of the trees of the garden, we may eat. But from the fruit of the tree, which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat from it or touch it or you will die. Um, In other words, God had created the Garden of Eden and he told Adam and Eve, eat freely from whatever you want in all of the garden. Gorge yourselves on all that I have provided as the provision of my love for you, but this tree that is in the midst of the garden, do not eat this tree, and the day you eat from this tree, you will die. So the serpent, who is Satan, comes to Eve and says, is that really true? And Eve says, well, yeah, that's what God has said. We will die if we partake of this tree. The serpent says in response, you surely shall not die For God knows that in the day you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. This is amazing. What what the serpent does to Eve is he begins to attack her view of God. You surely shall not die. God lied to you. God is a liar, Eve. He has told you something that's not true. And God has a reason for lying to you. And that is because God is trying to hold you down and keep you away from something that rightfully belongs to you. So Satan lies to Eve about God. And Eve believes those lies about God. And so verse 6, believing those lies, it says, When the woman saw that the tree was good, for food and that it was a delight to the eyes. In other words, it was beautiful that the tree was desirous to make one wise. She took from its fruit and she ate. Having been deceived, this very beautiful woman allowed herself to be led into sin. A third truth you need to know if you want to be on a path to beauty is that this very beautiful woman then led her husband into sin. She then led the man in 
to sin. It says in the narrative of Genesis 3 that right after she partook of the fruit that she then gave also to her husband with her and he ate. Okay? Uh, and in the narrative of Genesis 3.6, it just seems like maybe Eve walked up to her husband, handed him a fruit, and he ate of that fruit. But when you piece that together with Genesis 3.17, when God is speaking to Adam, one of the things God faults him for is this. He says, because you have obeyed the voice of your wife. And he uses the Hebrew word that means to obey. So Eve didn't just hand him a piece of fruit. Eve came to him, held out the fruit, and urged him to eat this fruit. And so Adam obeyed her voice. And this very beautiful woman led her husband in to sin. Now here's an unsettling truth about this, guys. Look in 1 Timothy 2.14 on the screen or in your Bible. It says, It was not Adam who was deceived, but the woman being deceived fell into transgression. You put that together and what you realize is that Eve totally was deceived. She honestly thought, I can partake of this fruit and I will not die. And we're going to be as wise as God and we're going to have this good thing that rightfully we have coming to us that God is trying to keep from us. She buys into that lie and then she partakes. She was deceived. Adam, as he's looking at this fruit that Eve is now handing to him after she has partaken, Adam is not deceived in the same way that she was. Adam knows that death will come. Adam knows. He has some idea that death and darkness and a lot of undesirable things are going to come if I partake of this fruit. He was not deceived the way that Eve was. But Adam partook anyway, and the question is why? And the reason that some writers suggest is that standing before him was a beautiful woman that he did not want to be without. And his thinking was, you know what, I'm not deceived about, I know my wife has been deceived, and I know that if we partake of this, uh, that death is going to come. But you know what? Come what may, I want to be with this woman. And this very beautiful woman led Adam in to sin. If I could give one encouragement to you ladies, uh, even a sobering challenge, it is intriguing to me that when the devil wanted to bring sin into this first marriage, what was the first point of attack? It was the woman. That ought to really sober you. Uh, I believe that Satan was ultimately after Adam, the head of the human race, from whence Eve actually was taken. But to get to him, the devil did not go directly to Adam. He went to his wife and lied to her about her God. She believed those lies and sin passed from her to her husband and hence to all of the succeeding generations. As a woman of God, your attitude needs to be, you know what, Satan may attack my husband first, he may attack my children first, it doesn't always happen that he attacks the wife first, but your thinking needs to be, if the devil ever comes to this home and tries to attack here and he makes me the first point of attack and he starts giving me a load of lies... The lies will stop with me. I will not believe them. I will renounce them. Those lies will not make their way through me to my children and into my home and into my marriage. Your commitment should be to be a good gatekeeper of your marriage and of your home and to realize that when the devil wants to get your husband, very often he will begin his work 
by attacking you. He will seek to get to your husband through you. When the devil wants to get to your children, he will try to do that through you. And the very first point of attack will be to deceive you into believing lies, namely about God. And so be walking in the truth, ladies, believing the truth, breathing the truth, and when lies come your way, renounce them for what they are and have those lies stop right there and go no further. Eve did not do that. This very beautiful woman ended up allowing herself to be deceived and led into sin. This very beautiful woman led her husband into sin. And hence, a fourth truth is that this very beautiful woman lost her beauty. Ultimately, she lost her physical beauty, right? Uh, Think about it. Hypothetically, if Eve had never sinned, she'd be alive today, and she would look just as knockout gorgeous and ageless as she was on the day that she was created and presented to Adam. But as a result of having partaken of the fruit, look at what God said would happen. Genesis 2:17. And the day you eat from it, you shall surely die. And that doesn't mean that the day that you eat of the fruit, you're going to fall over dead. His point is the day that you partake of this fruit, you will begin to die. You will be dying day by day by day, all the way until you have breathed your last I think we can all identify with this. I'm 44 years old. I am not waiting around for death to pay me a visit. You know, on some final day when I breathe my last, I observe that death pays me a visit every single day. The older I get. I get up in the morning and there's a few less hair follicles than there were the day before. I used to be able to read without the need of uh, glasses Now my eyes won't focus the way that they used to because uh, death is killing my eyes one cell at a time so they're not as flexible as they used to be. And over the years, all of us will become more wrinkled and more gray, more incapacitated until that day that death takes our final breath away from us and steals that final heartbeat away from us. But we're not waiting to be encountered by death. Death is at work in our members. All of us are simply in various stages of decay. All right? Happy Mother's Day. (laughs) We all try to fight against this. In fact, this week, we normally use, this is not a commercial, we normally use Irish Spring Soap, um, Great Lather, um, but this week, I go into the, our, um, our bathroom, and there were two boxes of oil of Olay uh, soap in a box. And I picked up one of them, and uh, it said, age-defying, okay? Age-defying, which means death-defying. And so guess what brand I used that morning? Oil of Olay, moisturizing soap. And I've been feeling younger uh, since then. <laughs> But the thing is, I mean, we all, we all see death at work in us, don't we? And, and we try to hold off the effects of that death and conceal the effect of them. And the same was with Eve. Imagine how painful this would have been for her, of all people, having been created by God absolutely perfect with no death in her members. And that would have been her whole destiny if she would have never sinned. But she makes a wrong choice. She's deceived by Satan, partakes of the forbidden fruit. Day by day by day, she is dying physically and many years later standing in front of the mirror and seeing what she has become, gray and wrinkled and more incapacitated and knowing 
that this is happening to me because of the choice that I made. This very beautiful woman ultimately lost her beauty. In fact, she returned to dust, to dirt. Even spiritually, she lost her beauty because sin entered the human race by virtue of the choice that she and Adam had made. Sin began working in their members, and guys, sin is ugly. In fact, God even said to Eve, your desire from now on will be to master your husband, yet he shall rule over you. Uh, And so there's the ugliness of that ambition to dominate and to govern and to rule over and master her husband, along with the ugliness of the frustration shown when she cannot achieve that goal. Eve and Adam ended up giving birth to children, and we are their descendants. And of their descendants, we learn that there is none righteous, not even one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become useless. There is none who does good. There is not even one. Their throat is an open grave. With their tongues they keep deceiving. The poison of snakes is under their lips whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their paths. In sin, we become so repulsive to a holy God that we learn from Scripture that even our righteousness is as what? Filthy rags. This is what Adam and Eve became. This is what happened to Eve by virtue of the choice that she made. This very beautiful woman ultimately lost her physical beauty day by day until her dying day, and she lost her spiritual beauty and the goodness that God had given her at creation. Well, I'm glad the sermon doesn't end here because the story turns a positive corner with truth number five, and that is that in Christ, God has provided a way for the woman to be restored to beauty and goodness. You want to be knockout beautiful? Put your trust in Jesus. And you're going to begin on a road that will leave you one day beholding yourself, even bodily, uh, and amazed, absolutely amazed. And I'll show you how this, this all happens. But in Christ, God has provided a way for the, the woman to be restored to beauty and to goodness. And let me show you this from Scripture. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, Paul is talking about Adam and Eve. It was not Adam who was deceived, but the woman being deceived fell into transgression. And then he says something really remarkable in verse 15. I will alert you in advance to the fact that verse 15 has some things in it that are difficult to understand. There's various points of view. Uh, The point of view that I'm going to suggest is a perfectly plausible explanation of this verse. And it is held by a number of commentators, but not all. Um, But look at what verse 15 says. But the woman, even though she was deceived, fell into sin, led her husband into sin, and has the stigma of that, but the woman will be saved. And stop right there for a minute. This is the word for salvation. When we say that we're saved from sin, this is the same word. The woman will be saved from a number of things. She'll be saved from the stigma of being the one through whom sin entered into the human race. She'll be saved from sin and from the power of sin and the eternal condemnation that she deserves for sin, just as men do. Look at what he says. The woman will be saved. You could literally translate this from the Greek text through the bearing of the child. In fact, the Amplified Bible translates this, she will be saved through the childbearing, that is, by the birth of the divine 
child. There is the Greek article, meaning the, that is stuck in here, and it's singular. She will be saved. You could legitimately translate this. She will be saved through the bearing of the child. And who is that? Jesus. Here's the amazing grace of God. Yes, through sin, or through a woman, sin entered into the world. But God so arranged it that through a woman, the Savior would enter into the world. Isn't that awesome? The mercy of God. The story is not over after what happened with Adam and Eve. And God totally bypassed the man in what happened with Jesus. The Holy Spirit, God Himself, caused Mary to conceive in her womb. And from the womb of a woman, a Savior, the Savior, came into the world the one who would deliver her. She delivered her deliverer. She delivered the one who would save her and all women and all men. Look what he says. But the woman will be saved through the bearing of the child if they, speaking now more broadly of all women, continue in faith and love and holiness with self-restraint. See, it's through the child, Jesus, that women and men become saved, but that salvation does not automatically accrue to everybody. It's only those who put their faith in him. To the woman who comes to Jesus and acknowledges her bankruptcy and inadequacy of her own righteousness and puts all of her trust in Jesus alone as her Lord and Savior, and she believes in him and believes in the truth and continues in that faith, not just at a moment of time, but lives her life believing in him, continuing in faith, and then look at this, and in love. What is he talking about there? Yes, it means that a woman loves other people, but the love that he's speaking about, I believe, is the love of God in Christ, the loving provision of God, of salvation in Christ, that a woman receives that, and then she walks inside of God's loving provision for her. See, the problem with Eve is that God had made loving provision for her and said, stay inside here and don't go here. You can go anywhere except here. This is my love. This is not my love. Don't partake of this. And what did Eve do? She did not continue in God's love. She stepped outside of His love and partook of something that He had not given to her. But a woman will be saved eternally through the bearing of the child Jesus, if they put their trust and faith in Him, if they remain, if they're enjoying His love and a spirit of contentment, walking in His love, savoring His love, and then certainly out of the fullness of that love, giving that love to their husband and to their children and to the other people that are in their life. This is the lifestyle that is being advocated for women. A lifestyle of faith and of love, and of holiness, growing in greater and greater devotion to God, saying no to sin and yes to what is right and self-restraint. So women, according to this passage, are saved from the stigma of being the ones through whom sin entered the world. They're saved eternally from the guilt of their sins and the damnation that they and all people deserve for their sins. And you say, but where is the beauty in all this? What about beauty? Yes, we're saved, but how can I be beautiful? That's what the sermon's about. Yes. Well, Paul, look what he says in this very passage just a few verses earlier. He says, Likewise, I want women to adorn 
themselves with proper clothing. That word adorn is the Greek word cosmeo, from which we get cosmetic, cosmos. The cosmos speaks of an organized arrangement and ecology. Cosmetic is something that women utilize to beautify, to decorate themselves, and, and even to a degree rearrange themselves. Uh, they will, uh, women will even use that expression from time to time. Let me go arrange my face. And that's, that's literally what cosmetics do. If you want your lips a little bigger, uh, you cheat a little bit, put the lipstick uh, beyond just where the lips are. If you want your eyebrows a little higher, lower, thicker, or lighter, you know, through the miracle of cosmetics, you can rearrange all of that. It's just, it's just wonderful. Um, and there's nothing wrong with any of that, but look at what Paul says. Likewise, I want women to adorn themselves uh, or decorate themselves or beautify themselves. How? With proper clothing, modestly and discreetly. If you're interested in being beautiful as a believer in Jesus, you want to live a life of faith and love, holiness, self-restraint, but you also want to dress modestly. What does that mean? It means that you dress in a way that is financially modest, uh, that does not feed your self-absorption, that is not gaudy, that is designed to draw undue attention to oneself and the amount of money that must have been spent to have these garments that are being uh, worn. It means financial modesty and also sexual modesty, a commitment to dressing in a way that does not provoke shameful thoughts in the minds of men and even shamefully jealous thoughts in the minds of other women. Okay? You want to catch the eye of God to where God says, Whoa, there is a beautiful woman. Dress modestly. You will attract the eye of God. You will also attract the eye of the right kind of man. He says, not with braided hair and gold and pearls or costly garments. He's not saying there's anything wrong with some of these things, but he's saying that's not where your energies need to be. Don't be investing in these to be and depending upon them to be what makes you beautiful. Verse 10, but rather women are to adorn themselves, decorate themselves by means of good works as is proper for women making a claim to godliness. Good works, that's another cosmetic to apply every day. Instead of living your life being absorbed with yourself and consumed with yourself and standing in front of the mirror admiring yourself or condemning yourself because you don't live up to some standard, look away from yourself at Jesus and experience His love and then live your life doing good works for other people. God looks upon a woman like that and says, there goes a beautiful woman. So many of us are so self-absorbed in our culture today. Oh, and, and everything in our culture just screams this message of self-absorption. And I'm going to tell you young people now, you live your life stuck on yourself, it's going to wear you out. It really will. You're going to be exhausted. Uh, you're going to get tired of yourself, weary of yourself. It takes so much energy to live your life just absorbed with you. Just, wouldn't it be freeing to just say, you know what? 
I've been taken care of by Jesus and His love. I just want to live my life looking at Him and experiencing Him. I've got all this love. What do I do with it? I'll give it to other people. That is a life of freedom. And that is true beauty. Peter says something similar in 1 Peter 3. He says, Your adornment, ladies, must not be merely external, braiding the hair, wearing gold jewelry, or putting on dresses. And again, he's not prohibiting these things. If he is, we would have to say he's prohibiting putting on dresses, which would create a huge problem. Um, But what he's saying is that you should not depend upon these things to be what makes you beautiful, but let your adornment, let your decoration, let your cosmetic, let the thing that beautifies you be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable. That means ageless quality of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is precious in the sight of God. If you're here today and you care about being beautiful, right there, a gentle spirit, and a quiet spirit, ladies. And some of you men may say, yeah, preach it. You know, women got to be gentle. They need to be quiet. Um, I hate to crash your party, men, but gentleness and quietness are actually characteristics that should characterize men and women. Jesus says, I am gentle and lowly in heart. Blessed are the gentle, for they will inherit the earth. Uh, Also, quietness is something that should characterize every believer. In 1 Timothy 2, Paul tells us to be praying for kings and all who are in authority so that we, men and women, may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. So these two qualities should be in the lives of men and women. Peter, however, is speaking to women. This, this crusty old fisherman is giving some beauty tips to women. And he says, if you wish to be beautiful, here's the cosmetic you are to apply. Let it be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit. What is a gentle spirit? Gentleness is basically something wherein you realize, I have the power to do hurt. I have the power to inflict pain. Uh, I can talk in a way that can really hurt people in my life. I can hurt my husband. I can hurt my children. Um, And with the things I do or with the things I say, uh, someone who is gentle is aware that they have the power to do hurt, but they are very careful so as never to use the power they have to bring hurt, but only to bring good. That's what Jesus did. Jesus had the power to hurt, didn't he? Even those that were hurting him. But instead, he used that power to do good. That is gentleness. It is power. The fact that God would tell women to be gentle implies that women are powerful. God is saying, women, you have enormous power. But reign that power in and use it to do good and never to bring hurt. And also a quiet spirit. That's the opposite of an argumentative, loud, mouthy spirit that is contrarian. But a quiet spirit. This is precious in the eyes of God. You want to catch the eye of God? To where God says, there goes a beautiful woman. And God is speaking to his angels saying, look, look there. Look at that beautiful woman. You want to catch his eye like that? Have a gentle and a quiet spirit. And then lastly, and I'm not going to spend any time on this, but I will tell you ladies that 
with the restoration of a woman's goodness and beauty comes enormous power and influence. The, the path to beauty we're talking about is actually a path to enormous power and influence. Scary power, all right? If you are beautiful in the way that is being described here, you will, you will have a frightening amount of power uh, in the hearts of the men that are in your life and the other people, even your children, because beauty is power, all right? If I could give you ladies any... Any word that I want you to at least take home with you, it is this. Beauty is power. Take those three words, put them on the mirror in your restroom, put them on your refrigerator, wherever you frequent, and put those words there. Beauty is power. It's enormous power. Peter says, in the same way, you wives, be submissive to your own husbands so that even if any of them are disobedient to the word, they may be won without a word by the behavior of their wives as they observe your chaste and respectful behavior. And then he goes on into describing what women are to be like, having a gentle and peaceful spirit. In other words, if you are beautiful in this way, you will wield enormous power over the heart of your husband. So much power that that you can actually lead him to a saving knowledge of Jesus just as he watches your behavior without you having to nag him and speak words to him. This is a powerful woman who is beautiful in this way. And wrapping this up, guys, gals, I mean, um, let me give you just a few challenges. Number one, always choose beauty over ugliness. Okay? Choose beauty over ugliness. You may say, if there ever was a no-brainer of a point, it's that one. Of course I don't want to be ugly. Of course I would choose beauty over ugliness. Oh, really? Um, In our culture today, there are many women who have grown accustomed to using ugliness to get their way. Um... They'll be mean, they'll be nasty, they'll act out in all sorts of ugly ways so that their husband will say, fine, fine, here, you can have what you want. You ever heard of that? Um, Maybe as you've tried to help other people, you ever heard of anyone that has acted that way using ugliness? And in your parenting, ladies, is it not sometimes a temptation especially if your children are being ugly, to give them ugliness back. And ugliness that is designed to achieve a certain result, and that may be to silence them. And you know what? When you use ugliness in these kind of ways, you sort of get what you want on some levels, but you lose so much. Yes, it may shut your children up because they don't want to upset mom further, But you are dooming yourself to a lifestyle of having to be ugly in order to get the people in your life to give heed to what you're saying. Don't do that. Choose beauty over ugliness. Trust God when he tells you, essentially in 1 Peter 3, that beauty is power. Beauty is power. Who is the more powerful woman? The woman who has to yell and scream five times and then finally her children obey? Or the woman who with a gentle and peaceful spirit says, children, and then she delivers the command and they obey. The powerful woman is the one who is beautiful. Choose beauty over ugliness. And gals, you're not even married yet perhaps, 
Don't use ugliness with your dad to try to get him to give you what you want. Don't get all pouty and silent treatment and acting out in various ways. You're, you're practicing. And by the way, dads, don't give any of your daughters when they do that because you're going to have a husband who's going to drop them off on your doorstep a few months into their marriage and say, take her back and give her back to me when you're done with her. No, seriously, you're, you're doing marriage counseling. You're preparing your daughters for marriage even now, though they may be years away from getting married. Help them to realize that beauty is power. Teach them this, model this. Don't give in ever to ugliness. Also, every woman in Christ can be truly beautiful. Do you believe that? I don't care what body type you have or what your face looks like compared to everybody else's. According to God's design, every single woman in Christ can be knockout beautiful with a beauty that emanates from the inside. And you know what I found over the years is that women who are internally beautiful, it actually begins to give shape to their physical beauty. Some of the most attractive people I've ever met are 60 and 70 years old who radiate. You ever met people like that? That's internal beauty that's coming out. So that is what to strive for every woman in Christ can be beautiful. And you may say, but yeah, but what about my body this, you know, and, and my face? If I could change you know, a bunch of things, I would change them. You know what? If you just walk in Christ and you keep your eyes on Him and you walk in faith and you walk in love, I've got a promise for you. The day will come when you absolutely love the body God gives you. Because what's going to happen is, yeah, your body's going to decay and die. It's a dying thing anyway. But on the day of resurrection, God is going to raise your body from the earth. He's going to clothe it with immortality. He's going to glorify it. And when you get to heaven with this glorified brand new body, you're going to love the body that God gives you. And you will have that body for all of the trillions and trillions and trillions of eons through eternity. This happens to those that put their trust in Christ. Also, ladies... Uh, don't ignore the external. Please don't ignore the external. Give some time to that, um, but put more passion into cultivating inward beauty. You know what? I would encourage you guys to do a study of the passage in First Timothy and First Peter if you're interested. Here's a list of some beautifying qualities that we've even covered today. The last two we didn't cover for time, but faith, love, holiness, self-control, good works, gentleness, a quiet spirit, modesty, chastity, respectfulness, confidence in God. Put your hope in God, not in the men who are in your life, and fearlessness. To be this way, you've got to be a bold, courageous, and a fearless woman who is not frightened by any fear, as Peter speaks of in 1 Peter chapter uh, 3. These are the qualities to strive for. And so strive for these, cultivate these. And when God puts situations in your life that are designed to mold you into this, don't buck against that. When hardships come, God's just trying to put faith in you, make you more loving, to teach you self-control. And so don't, don't resist that. All these things in your life, God is trying to work out for your good to produce good in you. Okay? That's everything you need to know about being beautiful. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for the women that are in this body. I pray that you would help them to be beautiful with the very beauty of Jesus. May they see what they are now and 
rejoice in your beauty that is in them. May they also behold what they will become in glory and ready themselves for that day. May, Lord, this be a church full of women who are extremely powerful because they possess the beauty, the very beauty of Jesus Christ. Help them in the achievement of this goal because ultimately it's your beauty that's being displayed and hence you and your name that is being glorified. So we ask these things, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.